0: Hey there, my name is Dan.
1: My name is Joshua, and, and we, we are, are the, the Unauthorized, Unauthorized Critics, Critics Circle. Circle.
0: Now, Joshua, tell the listener what we do here at the UCC.
1: With pleasure. Here at the UCC, we review theater... With the by normal
0: bitcheries and
1: qualms... By watching the video recordings... From questionable
0: origins... Of various productions... This week, we are talking about a chorus line, specifically the public theater pre-Broadway production from 1975.
1: Uh, I believe this tape is easily accessible. It is. At least, it is as far as I'm looking. Mm-hmm. Give it a watch. It's out there. Grasp it with both hands. Seize the moment. Uh, we mentioned this because while we reviewed the show itself, We also talk about the specific performances we've seen.
0: The internet is your friend, darling.
1: So without further ado, the curtain is now rising, and I have a thing for this. I have a thing for this. I'm going to have my moment here. Uh, Our episode is going to begin in three, two, one. 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 One.
0: Enjoy the show, kids. Two, two, three, four, five, six, seven, three. Well, two, Joshy, three, four, I think you, mm. we've learned something very important from this show. You can get new tits and ass, but your hips that don't move? Ooh, you're kind of. What stuck a fucking. With wow, them. you're
1: going to start this with a personal blow that the audience has no context for? You're going to just I've bully seen,
0: me in front of listeners? I have seen you, quote unquote, dance. Your hips don't move. At all. It's shocking. Why would you start a chorus
1: line episode with this? Why would you? Why is this
0: the point? Because you'll never be in a chorus line.
1: I would want to be. This is terrifying.
0: The fuck? (laughs) You're never gonna be in a chorus line. I Yeah, hopefully.
1: Hopefully? Yeah, I think I'd have a, a nervous conniption if I were... To be in a chorus line.
0: Hi folks, welcome back to the Unauthorized Critic Circle. As a dancer you belong in Lamez.
1: <laughs> Fuck you for making that a good line. Uh folks, <laughs> if you couldn't tell, it's a chorus line. We're talking about a chorus line.
0: Bum.
1: Uh no, this is the first time. Uh and for our first time we're watching some uh, we're watching some hack regional production, yeah?
0: it is not a hack regional production we are watching the original cast in remembrance of robert lapone mm-hmm. who recently left us
1: and also in remembrance of patty lapone who also recently left us in a different manner yeah, um she left like she oh. she she left
0: us but she didn't... That remains to be seen well i mean the truth is she'll never leave us but still um, Let's be honest about Patty Lapone. She said she was retiring during war paint. She doesn't always keep her promise, but she does keep her distance. <laughs> Fuck.
1: <laughs> I, I, you know what? I didn't see that coming, and that's on me. <laughs>
0: <laughs> um, A chorus slide. The original company.
1: Original company? Before cast- they moved
0: to Broadway. Yeah,
1: this is an off Broadway. At the public. At the public theater. Joe PAP. Okay. Uh, Joe PAP. Alright, you gotta cut it. Um, (laughs) Daniel. Mm hmm. Do you know anything
0: about a course Line before this? Not a thing. (laughs) Sure, 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 sure. Me, this is my
1: seventh time watching this show, and I.
0: uh... (sighs) Yeah, I think. We're playing opposite day, clearly. I remember I had the cassette... Shut the fuck up. I had the cassette... <laughs> <laughs> that I listened to when I was literally like four years old and I was just learning how to read. And it, the cassette said New York Shakespeare Festival because the public theater was New York Shakespeare Festival. Mm-hmm. And I thought that Shakespeare wrote a chorus line.
1: <laughs> oh!
0: Yeah. Because Do you want to talk me through the logic? Well, I couldn't fully read it, but I could make out enough of the letters to read Shakespeare. And so I was like, oh, Shakespeare wrote a chorus line, clearly. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. And I loved the cassette, went around the house singing all along with the cassette. And my parents had to tell me, oh, no, you can't sing along to that song. (laughs) I loved loved the thing. I... (sighs) I saw the movie before I saw the stage show, and I liked I've the movie. I've heard about the movie. I liked the movie when I saw it, but in uh-huh. my defense, I hadn't seen the stage show, and I didn't have any standards to go by. You off. know what?
1: You know what? I I can't... I don't even have anything to say to you, because that was my stance with a much worse musical movie. So I don't have... I don't I don't have a right to argue with you here. Um, and... It's I Phantom. The... It's Phantom. That I was... I, I okay. unironically enjoyed the Phantom movie. I, I'm sorry for
0: that. Well, oh, I remember going to the movie theater and I enjoyed the Phantom movie. The entire family enjoyed the Phantom movie. And looking back, well, we grow. We grow. Yeah, Thank yeah, yeah. God. Thank
1: uh. God.
0: <laughs> oh, I saw the tour. First time I saw it, I saw the tour Ooh. of the revival so there was oh, the yes. Broadway revival in 2006. It went on tour. I saw the tour and oh my God, it was like, oh.
1: How was the company? Can't
0: tell you. Can't tell you. Company was terrific. Great. Um And then I saw a major college musical theater program do a chorus line and it was terrible. It was absolutely terrible. <laughs> if I'm honest, and I was sitting there with um, a group of my friends that were not familiar with the show and they were like, this is so dated and Hmm. there's no good music here. And I was like, this is not true, but based on the performance we saw, I don't know how to effectively fight you. (laughs) And I was a little concerned about a chorus line and how it had Hmm. aged and how it was standing up today. But I went this summer, Byork Lee, the great Byork Lee, who was in the original cast, yes, um, and has been staging a chorus line since the original cast, (laughs) has been doing this for 40-some years. She directed and choreographed it at the um, Pittsburgh Civic Light Opera, and I figured this might be my last chance to see a chorus line most traditional. And I went to see it. Now, side note, there had been a whole group of layoffs at my company that happened earlier, a few days before in the week. I was, like, not feeling secure in my own job security. Uh, I updated my resume and everything. And he's sitting there, Who am I anyway? Am I my resume? I cried from about the first minute to the end, I just was a well of tears. It never (laughs) stopped. It was embarrassing. I don't think I've ever cried at a show that much. Um, it was a great production, well-directed, great cast. Um, and it was the original production. Uh, and the show actually does hold up. It's not a relic. It's not dated. It's interesting how it has aged, but it just turns out that major college musical theater program really shit the bed really badly when mm-hmm. they did it. <laughs> oh, word, word. Mm-hmm. What's your history?
1: Uh, this is my first time seeing this show.
0: Cool, cool.
1: I have been under a lot of pressure to watch this goddamn show. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. A lot of pressure. From who? Quite... Literally, from who? every single musical theater friend in my life. Well You are genuinely, you would maybe make the top five. Maybe make the top five. <laughs> I have had people breathing down my neck. I need you to know that there is someone in the room across from me right now who was close to putting their hands around my throat with how long it has taken me to get to this musical. This has been an eternity in the making. Uh... The prophecy has been fulfilled and I have seen Chorus Line and fuck.
0: Well, I think I'll start with my first. The thing I realized watching it this summer. I'm going to go on a bit of a tangent, but it has a point. 1800s opera composer Richard Wagner had some definite ideas of what opera is supposed to be and he took a very long time defining the term Gesamtkunstwerk and Gesamtkunstwerk is not necessarily an opera term but it is also a term in um For those who
1: enjoy listening to like regular sounds Gesamtkunstwerk
0: In the thing where you make the buildings, I forget the term right now. The word's not coming to me. Um, You build the buildings, you design the buildings. Uh, Frank Lloyd Wright, architecture, that's it. Um, Cool. (laughs) It's supposed to be a total art and Richard Wagner wrote three different essays. And when I say essays, it's Richard Wagner. So they're very long, they're book length. Um, Two of them, are him defining Gizam and the other one is about how Jews ruined his career. <laughs> yeah. Um, we're not going to Slay. pay attention to that one. We're not going to pay attention to that book. Um, he defined Gizam and he had several ideas of what an opera should be, what an opera score should be, But if we are using the term of total art and all of the pieces synthesizing into a whole, Richard Wagner considers Gesamtkunstwerk to be everyone listening to him. A chorus line is actually the most perfect embodiment of Gesamtkunstwerk. That actually ever existed. Because rather than everyone being subservient to Richard Wagner. Everybody is collaborative and adding to the whole. (laughs) Huh.
1: You walked into that one. Come on.
0: Hmm?
1: Adding to the whole.
0: Oh, well.
1: It is, it's always weird when you see a piece of theater that feels like it is translating an aspect of life or a feeling or something that just feels so innate and so natural and so comprehensive, uh, in such, just, you know, a one-to-one way on the stage. But Mm -hmm. so much of a chorus line, and especially the like very, very beginning of this show, it, 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 it feels like the pinnacle of that method of storytelling. There's something about the way that it is able to keep this pace, keep this pace that is objectively, you know, a a high paced, entertaining theatrical experience, but still make it feel like no one is jumping from point A in time to point B in time. The fact that everyone is flowing naturally in sync at the same time, everyone is experiencing the same time at the same place, The, the way that everybody is experiencing this audition as the audience is seeing it. Mm hmm is so effective at blurring the line between you, the audience, and them, the performers, and the notion of, like, you know, you, the people sitting in this theater, and the fictional art happening in front of you, that when theatricality does start to ramp up in the show, when the show starts becoming, you know, more and more a piece of theater and starts verging a little bit less from the realism, the effect is that it starts to feel like magic is real. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Because if these people on stage are living real life as they've proven to us from the very beginning of this show. If real life can be this stylized and this beautiful, and if the way these people feel can be translated visually to what we see and we can step inside their minds and go, yes, I've also felt this way, then real life's gotta be fucking magic.
0: It is interesting. You talked about... um... Mix of audience and performer. I didn't go into the many books I've read about Michael Bennett and A Chorus Line, but I have read many books. I believe it was Ken Mendelbaum that pointed out, you, the audience, become Zach. You are Uh out there watching each of these performers. You're seeing them perform. You're seeing them dance. You're figuring out who you would cast, and that's part of the drama of the show. You are implicated in the storytelling. Yes. Uh, and then as far as feeling like it's really happening A Chorus Line is the most successful attempt and I think one of the only attempts at honest to god documentary theater
1: That's also something I, w- I was
0: Or oh, documentary I to like, musical, to musical like, yes, theater please. Mm-hmm.
1: Yes, let's, let's, let's talk about that
0: well, to briefly go over because i'm sure <laughs> i'm sure people know some of the story they had a series of tape sessions um rachel lily rosenblum and don't you ever forget it mm-hmm. closed um in previews it had a number of um dancers that ended up being in a chorus line and Michon peacock and tony stevens both of whom ended up not being in a chorus line decided they were going to have a group of people come take a class and just discuss what it was like to be a dancer. And they were thinking they would start a communist – not a communist collective, but they would start an artistic collective of a company of dancers that would produce and write and create for themselves. Uh At the same time, Donna McKechnie was trying to convince Michael Bennett – to leave America, go start a farm in New Zealand, because land in New Zealand was very cheap. They would take all of their dancer friends and they would start an artist's commune in New Zealand. There was a change in the air, there was a thing in the ether that dancers were getting screwed over and we need to look out and protect ourselves and create something completely mm-hmm. ourselves so michael bennett comes in they have the thing he didn't move to new zealand spoiler alert um
1: <laughs> i i i couldn't tell i was on the edge of my seat
0: i was like yeah
1: Shit is this chance. going to end
0: in a commune <laughs> okay <laughs> they had the interview session and they all sat around and they talked about their lives and that became the show
1: Wait, so is this like a verbatim thing for the most part?
0: There are sections that are absolutely verbatim. Now, what isn't verbatim is your story didn't always remain your story. Donna McKechnie's story ended up in five different characters. Ah. Oh. So that would change. She's one of the at-the-ballet girls. She, uh, Indian chief and he'd say, Maggie, do you want to dance? That's Donna McKechnie. Oh, sure. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it was um, split up that way. So a lot of the show is verbatim. The Paul monologue specifically was verbatim, verbatim. No fucking way. The only thing that changed there, they cut a couple phrases. Wow. Uh, yeah, they cut a word here, they cut a word there. But that was verbatim, verbatim. And... The show was developed in the workshop process, which was not a thing at the time. And a workshop is when you basically put a show into rehearsals before it's finished. Or that's what it was supposed to have been. So you can try things out without knowing whether or not it's going to work, for lack of a better term. Yeah. And you can try and you can experiment and you can follow... An idea down the path for a week and realize it doesn't work, but that's okay because we don't open on Broadway in four weeks. You know? Right, yeah. Um, So during the workshop process, Michael Bennett was staging numbers before there was a score. Uh, You know, you go here, you go here. What would you say if this happened? What would you say if this happened? He had writers come in, and as they were writing, they'd go up to the performers and say, So this is the situation. How would you respond? Great. And they'd go off and they'd turn that into something and they realigned so we had actual characters that were more clear to follow through. Um, And specifically, I think Ed Kleban really asked them a lot of questions when he was writing the lyrics. And then he put it in actual rhymeable phrases. The most notable thing... There is a scene near the end of the show where Paul gets hurt. Now, one day Michael Bennett was teaching them a combination and it was a full fully-fledged combination he was working on it, they had been working on it for weeks and he said we're going to make a change. We're going to do this, this, this and he starts showing them, he starts showing them and he falls and he mm-hmm. grabs his knee and mm-hmm. he starts screaming, like screaming. And all of the sudden chaos broke loose. Ork Lee, who had worked with him on several shows, is in the corner crying. Donna McKechnie is saying, this is the doctor we have to call, someone get the phone. Kelly Bishop is running to get her Valium. And <laughs> this goes on for three or four minutes, and he's really hurt. He's down there, and he is screaming his head off. And about three or four minutes go by. They are absolutely apoplectic, because they were working for $100 a week. They had given up jobs to continue this workshop for $100 a week. They thought everything was over. I mean, this was the world ending. Michael Bennett getting hurt because it was the end of the show. Uh Three or four minutes go by. He jumps up, puts a huge smile on his face, looks around, and he says, this is a scene in the show. Everyone remember what you did. You're going to do that in the show. (laughs) They were fucking livid with him. They were livid. They all started screaming at him. The, I'm that's how not things even developed. a little
1: bit surprised to hear that. Not even a little bit surprised.
0: <laughs> yeah, that's how things developed. <sighs> that's how this show came to be.
1: So so basically what we're seeing is th- the original company of a chorus line is not just the original company of a chorus line. This is a chorus line, basically. That's what we have here.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Really quickly, can we take a second to talk about that? The fact that we have the original chorus line? Just a second.
0: Um, sure.
1: The tape that we happen to have happens to be from a tiny little uh, venue called the New York Public Library. Um, they've had an initiative going since the early 1970s called the Theater on Film and Tape Archive. The Theater on Film and Tape Archives uh, is a collection of almost all of the major theatrical works to have happened in New York City, uh, on Broadway, some off, some uh, dance and performance art and etc. Uh, the the most seminal pieces of art and almost every Broadway show that has been in New York since the early '70s. This is not something that you can just rent from the library and pop into your DVD player. It's one of the most highly guarded departments uh, in. I would probably say, if not America, maybe the world in terms of theater, you have to be a researcher of a certain level of qualification, quote unquote, uh, and you have to go to the New York Public Library in New York City by the Lincoln Center, book an appointment, ask them to queue up a tape, sit in a very old room with a very musty TV, and pop on your headphones as they play the tape for you. Um, it's like manually operated. There's someone in a different room operating them remotely. You never touch the disc. You never see the disc. And basically that's the way to be able to step back into theatrical history. We, we shouldn't have this. We shouldn't have this. Oh, but
0: this leaked somehow, and we don't know how. We have it no idea how. That really years back, and it spread like wildfire. And I mean, of course, it would because it's such a legendary thing—the original cast of a chorus line. It's, it's a one of these seminal line. moments in commercial theater.
1: Yeah, the, uh, the fact that this exists is absolutely jaw dropping. Uh, and with the that, the fact
0: that it leaked is jaw dropping.
1: Yeah. Well, yeah. Absolutely. The fact that it is in our hands. Mm -hmm. is absurd. And so let's relish in it. Uh, There's not a... We can't do this department by department. I know we said that with the last episode, but this is... That's not... It's not even, like, possible here, is it?
0: No. Well, I said it's the most perfect realization of Gesamtkunstwerk that's ever existed.
1: And so with that, let's talk about what makes this singular unit of cohesion... Such a brilliant piece of theater. Like, why is this in the annals of musical theater history? Annals. Annals. Dan.
0: Oh. Trying to make sure you didn't mishear. But, but, but don't you think it could be the other one? D- Daniel? No. I'd like no. to think they had fun. Down.
1: Down. i water like to water think they had had fun. <laughs>
0: uh, Where to start with a chorus line? Ah, um, How does it make you feel? Oh, I mean, last time I saw it, I said I cried the entire time. I cried the entire fucking time.
1: Why is that? What is it that t- gets at the heart?
0: <laughs> okay, for the first thing, and this isn't even related to my personal situation, although that played into it. Started at the beginning, and they're running through the audition sequence. And I'm looking around the stage, and my eye was immediately drawn to Cassie, and Cassie mm-hmm. was barely doing the combination when they were supposed to practice it. And then it came time to do it in front of the cast, and, and I, no, <sighs> turn it around from the mirror, and we're supposed to do it, and she immediately had it. And what that was communicating was. She knows what Zack is thinking before he does it. He went to do a correction, and she was already doing the correction along with him as he was teaching it. They know each other so well. She already sees exactly where he's about to go. She doesn't need to practice the combination because she's put in her time. She knows she's going to be fine when she goes out there. She's confident. She knows who this guy is, and... She was honestly exasperated by how long everything was taking. hmm And it is that level of detail that carried out through the entire show. Started from the very first couple of minutes. And just from there on out, it is that level of total detail. It's the beginning. Yes. That thing... The lights went down, you were plunged into total darkness, there was no sound, and all of the sudden you saw the white line on the stage first, and then you saw them in the mirrors, and they turned around, and then the lights came up. It's taking you... A chorus line is very psychological. People don't get how psychological it is. It's very psychological. It was the product of all of them being in group therapy at the time. It was the product of a lot of people in the original work tape sessions being proponents of Buddhism. These were hippies that were growing up or were kids in the hippie movement and were growing up. It is a period of the 70s meism psychologically that was happening and it's a very psychological production. He puts you in the headspace of, this is reality, but this is my reality. Join me on my page.
1: mm mm-hmm. It's that attention to detail that struck me mm-hmm. throughout this entire thing because it always comes down to, you can. Ta- I am. You know me. I am unversed when it comes to dancing. Connie is doing the tap sequence, and she goes, "I, I, I tapping is not my strong suit." Mm-hmm. And you watch the thing, and she does all the steps, and you there's can just see the no is not no less
0: strong suit. Yeah,
1: it's it's her arms don't move. Uh huh. Her arms barely move, and her face is stoic, uh-huh. and she is so focused on making sure her legs move the right way that you can tell that all that her brain is in her feet and nowhere else.
0: Well, and especially in that early audition sequence, um, that is the opening of the show. You see people not getting everything. You see people not getting every move; they are not perfect,
1: mm-hmm.
0: and it makes it interesting because you're watching. Oh, who's going to get it? Who am I casting? What would I do? Yeah, um, the f- audience is made this. is implicated. Mm-hmm. Uh, you're absolutely implicated. You absolutely are figuring out what is going on here. What is everyone's level?
1: And you spend this entire show. You know, you're not even just rooting for Cassie, but you know that she's the best here. You know, far and away, she's the best here. And what the show tells you specifically during one is that best does not mean right. And you, the audience member, are sitting there looking at the person who you know is the greatest out of all these people. And you're watching and you're going, wow, she's not she's wrong. She's wrong for this. And she, you know, starts to become right. But in that initial thing, you can go, yeah, she's she's
0: too good. Oh, not the finale! Not the finale! No, 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 no! The song one—the one, one where they're "Do It Again, Cassie." Yes, and then it leads into "That's Not a Decision, That's a Disease." God, good, better, best—I can't stand it. How can you? Not I've been saying some of the that most to impressive you. Impressive detail work. I have been saying that to you for months, and you don't get the reference. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> you have to pick up on that from now on. Fine. Yeah, the early one. Yeah, and you see, he's saying you're distorting the combination. Actually, what was interesting in this video, compared to when I saw it this summer, she destroyed the combination even more. And Donna McKechnie was more on the money. It almost started to be that Zach was 100% picking on her. Mm. And it stopped being about her dancing. I mean, yes, she was popping the head. And she shouldn't have done that. Um, But she was able to pull it in, and he's still screaming at her. And it's like, oh, this isn't about her as a dancer. This Mm. is about how you feel about yourself.
1: Uh Uh-huh.
0: And actually, the character of Cassie is not 100% Donna McKechnie. The the Zack and Cassie relationship is based on Michael Bennett and Leland Palmer. Hmm. Donna McKechnie later went on to marry Michael Bennett, but they had not been in a romantic relationship at the time Mm -hmm. the first cassie who had been in a romantic relationship with a director choreographer was donna mckechnie's replacement anne ryan king oh wow yeah and there's an audio of the gala performance she does that one scene god good better best and you hear it and you're like oh oh, this is very dark. I love this. <laughs> <laughs> You've had years of having this conversation, I can tell. <laughs>
1: there is there there is a big fossy conversation to be had around chorus lines. He right?
0: hated a chorus line. He fucking hated, hated a chorus line. He I hated sh- a chorus line so much that the first ten minutes of all that jazz, he said, I'm going to do what a chorus line does, and I'm going to do it in ten minutes.
1: And you know what? I watched this show and I genuinely thought why would you do that? Why would you want to do that? Why would you? Put
0: well, he this used into 10 it minutes? it ended up working because he used it as a jumping off point and all that jazz. Yes, absolutely. But,
1: but like he... you you know, I was watching this and with that like with that in mind, I had that in the back of my head and I went, "Well, sure, chorus line is, you know, This is what it's like to be a dancer on Broadway. This is the harshness. This is the reality. This is the ugliness. But also, this is about the humans. Yeah? And this is so much about the exploration and about how you get so intimate and so delicate with each of these people. And you get so ingrained in their lives that then they vanish.
0: You know why he really hated a chorus line? I think more than anything else. Tell me. Fossey was a great director on stage, great choreographer on stage. He went to the movies. He had to take time to Mm -hmm. become a film director. Michael Bennett, all of the sudden, is a director choreographer on stage. He's never... Really worked on movies. He's certainly never directed a movie. And all of a sudden, a chorus line comes out, and it is a movie on stage. Oh my
1: god! We talked about this with Dream Girls, How he's able to create works of art that feel cinematic.
0: Mm-hmm. But
1: after the opening number, Zach is giving this monologue, mm-hmm. and a spotlight pans across the face of each company member. The- and it's not even like a. Qu- it's not even like oh, this feels like. No, that is cinema. That's editing. That's a close-up.
0: The lighting is absolutely creating the camera, setting the camera space. And you even see things in the montage. They'll start a monologue and they'll start singing goodbye 12, goodbye 13, hello love in the background and the person is still in the front and they're talking. And what you see is hours of material combined it's called the montage and it is literally what would become a stereotypical movie montage almost yes. like a fashion show
1: and it and it was fucking incredible that for uh-huh. me was one of those first moments where the the bow of like realism really faded away you had the lighting that was applying the cinematic sure but the world that all the characters were inhabiting was still real time people were in those emotions and people were you know expressing that in an in a decidedly Mm -hmm. alienating way right but it's when that montage started that all of a sudden the staging becomes more representative Mm -hmm. and the company are no longer existing in the same space as the person we're focusing on because they're back at the bar and they're You know, filling in the environment for this person, and then they're fading in and out of camera, and they're fading in and out of the line. Fading in and out of the line, literally, visually, fading Mm -hmm. in and out. And then all of a sudden, there's a ballet, and then everyone's hopping on, and you're jumping from one musical moment to another, and Mm -hmm. it's fucking brilliance.
0: One thing that really struck me here: the same one number, not the finale, but the, the the Mm-hmm. Do it again, Cassie. One number. They layer them in and they start at Quad Le Bay. Um, singing over each other. And you realize, oh, they're not singing over each other. Um, one, two, shoulder down. Singular sensation. You know that section? Yes, of course. Mm hmm. Um,. And they're all starting a couple beats behind each other. It's a whole layered effect. It looks terrific. But what you're getting in the audience is we are seeing these all at the same time, but they didn't happen at the same time. These were each a whole group going in the audition. What we are seeing now in about five minutes is an hour and a half of an audition and everyone doing the same number over and over and Zach Literally can't make live up montage. his mind. Yeah. You're seeing it, not <sighs> even a... It, that one isn't even a montage. That is a... Um, put it on speed. Speed play.
1: Like a flash forward?
0: Yeah, you're seeing a flash forward.
1: Mm. Mm-hmm.
0: Of each group doing it. it it's entirely cinematic.
1: Hmm. Yeah. And also that, that's what it is, too, to that point of theatrical momentum. I always tether Hades Hadestown as an example of theatrical momentum. For those who have seen Hadestown, the show starts in this pub, and everyone is inhabiting this pub. And then all of a sudden, at some point in the show, a turntable comes into use. The, sh- the, the, the stage starts to move, and there's a turntable. And it starts spinning around. And then all of a sudden, the stage caves in on itself. There's a lift, and it's going downwards. And then all of a sudden, it rises above. And then all of a sudden, fog comes in. And then all of a sudden, the lighting becomes more and more abstract. And it ramps up slowly and slowly and slowly until by the end of the show, the walls burst open. And the stage breaks apart. The stage detaches and gives you an entire new environment. And because of the way that the show has paced itself, It felt like the next natural step. It felt like this organic growth into this world, taking you from this bar to hell. And that kind of theatrical momentum is something that excites me so much in musical theater. And it is something that, like, is due to a chorus line. Like, I have to imagine that a chorus line was the revolutionary step in advancing that kind of momentum. Yeah, because the way that this develops, the way that this flows, you know, from the beginning of the show to the montage to then this overlapping segment. And then crashing back to reality with the busting of the leg.
0: Um, A chorus line is the single industry shatterer. Yeah. Possibly in the history of Broadway. And we will get to why later on. I want to cover that later. Um, sure. So, remind me to get back to it. Sounds good. Um,
1: What do you really quickly? I guess this mm -hmm. is a little bit of a depart, I guess like a little bit of a category discussion, but I'd like to spend a second talking about the score.
0: A lot of people kind of dismissed it when it opened because the score, um, there aren't many standalone numbers. It, It appears, it disappears that song and what do I say? What do I say? Da 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 I don't even know the yes. lyrics. It's not on any cast album. I think it might be on the is revival cast album. It wasn't on the original. Um, because it's all dialogue interspersed with the song. Gesonkestruck. Yeah. Yeah, it, it, the score is so well integrated into the show that a lot of people didn't notice the score. It, it's a phenomenal score. Mm-hmm. Music and lyrics.
1: It's very tuneful. Mm -hmm. It's very exuberant. And it's so passionate. I genuinely don't have anything better than I could say about it than to say that this congeals. That this score congeals excellently into this book, into this staging, into these performers. Musical Mm -hmm. theater uses music in such a way that the music becomes a natural extension of the character's conversation, of their dialogue, of their expression. But this is something else. This feels more than just like, you know, a mental truth or a dramatic truth. Everything here feels like it is of an emotional truth. And it feels like what we are seeing and what we are hearing is exactly what these characters are feeling and exactly what this is to these characters. This is how these characters are experiencing this thing in real time. Mm -hmm. (coughs) Mm-hmm. Sorry, I had to clear my throat there for a second. Uh, Dan, Mm -hmm. what did you make of... uh, Yeah, sorry, I just got a bug in my... I I don't know what it was. I just feel like it was messing up my... I don't know. Anyway, uh, what what do you make of the score?
0: Oh, oh, you're talking about... The way you sound different, we'd never sit down and record these over multiple sessions. What are you talking about? How outrageous! Oh gosh, did I sound Why different? would you accuse? Oh, yeah, right. yeah, you, we totally didn't. It's cause it's have... it's
1: it's cause I didn't clear my throat. It's cause I that's yeah yeah yeah. yeah,
0: yeah. It, it, it's not because someone forgot the keys to their apartment and got into the friend's house who had a different mic. What? Huh? Huh? What? Um, the score.
1: We gotta air laundry in front of listener Dan. We gotta air laundry.
0: A listener wants everyone to be knows into that our life throat, every now and then.
1: Everyone knows that clearing my throat changes not only the intensity of my voice, but also the acoustics around me. Let's get into the score, please.
0: Okay. <clears throat> well, when I think of the
1: score... Oh, Jesus fucking Christ. <laughs> I've had it up to here with this foolishness. <laughs> I,
0: mean, I previously said it's excellent work. It really is excellent work. It's so tuneful. Um, but... It's contemporary. You know, you, you think of some scores of the set of, of late 60s, 70s, they all have that sound. And it's something that we've kind of lost, you know, We don't really have any, yeah, scores that use contemporary music oh the day. We have a synthetic pop, but uh-huh. it's a very uh, musical theater version of pop music. And uh, it's fun to have fun music. This is fun music. Yeah. And beyond that, uh, you, the lyrics are very witty. You, you literally texted me a lyric. You've only done that like three or four times in the history of the podcast.
1: Yeah, that's true. It was uh, really just a, like a fantastic thing. One of those things that just, you know, catches your ear. I'm terrific at a dance. Guys are coming in their pants.
0: That's musical theater. That is musical theater.
1: (laughs) Yeah. I thought thought that might have been a cut line from uh, Lovely Ladies, but uh, no.
0: Why would it be cut from Lovely Ladies when Les came after a chorus line?
1: So overall, the score uh, is certainly of... mm, 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 mm. What's up? (laughs)
0: You, am I off base saying, like, what is your definition of time?
1: <laughs> so the score for A Chorus Line is really one of It's catchy without sacrificing the emotional integrity of the character. You know, a song's never catchy for catchiness' sake. It's able to do both. It's able to communicate well, its story and its environment. Mm.
0: There was some disagreement. Over what I did for Love. And a couple of people wanted it cut from the show. And Marvin Hamlish said, I gotta have a hit here. This is a hit. I know it's a hit.
1: I will say that was the one that felt the most in that vein. And truthfully, for the longest time, outside of the context of a chorus line, I never understood what the hell this song could possibly have been doing in a chorus line. Watching it now for the first time, I found it remarkably touching.
0: Yeah, it, yeah and it's a great song. It's just a great it's song. A, it is a
1: great song and it's like I think the song for sure works as well completely devoid of context. Mhm. But within the context, it is not like it's not just some pop song. It is If you had to stop dancing today, what would you do? Kiss today goodbye. That, like, sweet, touching sentiment. Just just kiss today, goodbye. Mm-hmm. The departure.
0: It's... <laughs> well, th- this is... You mentioned the whole uh, kiss today, goodbye, that's it, that's the end. Um, and this is more of a book note. Mm. What kind of structure do you think a chorus line takes? Structure? Mm-hmm.
1: Um... I guess Hero's Journey, maybe.
0: No, but how is everything organized?
1: I not. I don't understand what you're getting at.
0: What I'm getting at is that the show is organized to show a life cycle. You start... Sure. ...at the beginning of the show. I'm watching Cisco Pitta Pat. Youngest age at the ballet. Hello 12, hello 13. They're growing up. Huh cassie comes along that's someone who is completely in um who has had a career and is in a different point in her life has lived some kind of a life there's the whole cassie and zach fight scene and then what what would you do if you had to stop dancing that's after the career's over yeah it follows through line from beginning to end the cycle of a dancer's life
1: Holy fuck. Uh
0: Uh-huh. In order.
1: Did not clock that.
0: Mm-hmm. Fuck. -hmm. Mm-hmm. It's a different kind of writing challenge to write that book, and it was Nicholas Dante and James Kirkwood. Neil Simon contributed a couple lines. They had a hell of a job editing because the original tape sessions were, like, 12 hours long. Hmm. And... They had further tape sessions. There were three or four tape sessions. They kept bringing other people in. So then you had to edit that down. There was, during the workshop, a presentation where Joe Papp had to decide whether he was going to move forward with the show. hmm That lasted something like four and a half hours. Oh. Lasted four and a half hours, and the story was that everybody had a Paul monologue. And... um. Mm. Cassie apparently had a monologue where she talked about having a nervous breakdown, and she was vacuuming, and she killed her cat.
1: Oh, 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 mm-hmm. oh. yeah. Oh. Probably
0: <laughs> wish that monologue still would have been there when cats overtook chorus line in long runs. <laughs> <laughs> Holy shit! <laughs> Bring out the monologue. Jesus um,
1: fuck! They perform it at closing, just like
0: yeah. no no no, at the at the ceremony because there's always a ceremony when one show takes over another and so one of the (laughs) Donna McKechnie walks out onto the stage of Cats and performs the monologue (laughs) about her killing her cat (laughs) yeah it's the show is showing the life cycle of a dancer from beginning to end um
1: it's a it's an incredibly constructed book
0: um
1: the way that you sort of ebb and flow into these characters, the way that they start to understand the, I don't know, interview situation a bit more.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: It's like each one learns and improves upon the one from before.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: <laughs> uh, the, the sudden insert, one of my favorite moments in the book is just, I can't remember exactly during what number it is. I'm sure you'll tell me, but it's just in the middle of a number where we've already settled into this and people are just like telling their stories and telling their stories and you're so, like, caught in the story itself that you're forgetting about, like, the structure or whatever. It cuts over to Paul, and he sings something about just, like, God, I hope he doesn't come to me.
0: hmm
1: And then you're back. And you're just remembering that there's always, like, we are always just watching the stream of consciousness on this stage. We yeah. are dipping in and out of various people. This random visitation we made r- reminds us that we are still here. That mm-hmm. this is not just becoming... You know, a, a series of stories
0: mm-hmm.
1: that this is an audition process that we're watching,
0: and you want to talk about the total integration of all elements. It's oh, you the, know that I fucking do. It's the Sheila scene heading into at the ballet. Oh, and oh, them
1: all walking backwards into the black. Fuck.
0: Well. Wow. Fuck. Not just that, but the video doesn't show it really well, but they come forward, the line disappears, uh, the line fades out, for lack of a better term, um, and it's just Sheila, and people walk forward, people walk forward, and it's you're in total darkness, and uh, Maggie has her at the ballet, at the ballet, at the ballet, ba da ba da the swell of music and it's a great Score moment, the swell of music, the orchestrations that happen there. And all of a sudden, we go from black, and there's paracchoids at the back. The paracchoids turn, and you're taken to the mirror side. And all of a sudden, the mm-hmm. stage is awash in light, and they're in a ballet class at the back. And none of the characters are actually in the ballet class, but it's representational. It's a moment of pure theater magic. It's, it's,
1: it's. Genuine, true brilliance mm-hmm. in construction here.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: God, choreography.
0: You know, there's not actually much dancing.
1: Yeah, I was very surprised. Much, quite a park and bark experience.
0: I wouldn't say park and bark, but there's the opening sequence. No, I was, being, sequ- I was
1: being facetious. I was being facetious. <laughs> I like. I guess it's not a one hundred percent dance through show, but like. Even, I would argue, even when the characters are just blocked, even when they're just moving, they're dancing. Until the end of the show.
0: Well, and there's... uh, Please take this message to Mother from me. It's my favorite score moment in this show. Just such a beautiful... Well, that's where they're
1: all placed around
0: the stage, right? It's in the middle of the montage. They're all placed around the middle of the stage, and you just look at how he arranges people and what moves he has them frozen in, and he's completely taken you to a surrealist uh, painting of... You know, they all have similar emotions here, but you're able to see clearly what each version of that emotion is. And this is also, when I said I had friends that didn't like it, and they're classical music people, they didn't understand, yeah, this single line isn't necessarily the most thought out line musically, but you're not looking at this single line of this single song. You're taking this piece, you're taking this interjection, you're taking this line, you're taking this gesture, you're taking this movement, and it adds up to create a whole character and gives you just enough kernels that you have an entire living, breathing person in front of you, a fully formed human being, and that's what's so beautiful. (sighs) <sighs> Darling, I can tell you now Your father went through life with an open fly Okay, that line alone, musically Not the most interesting, but that's not the point You look at the total whole throughout the entire show
1: Yeah, it's about the story It's not about the individual mm-hmm. elements here Yeah uh, It's all in service of the story Mm-hmm you know it's almost it almost feels like selfless in a way right mm-hmm. because it's there's not a part of the show that specifically tries to call attention to a certain part of the show or a certain aspect of its presentation it is all so devoted to the most excellent presentation of an entire work of art possible
0: mhm
1: and that it's it's thrilling to see and it makes absolute clear sense why this is one of the pieces of musical theater of all time. Uh, God, do you remember when a long run meant that it was of a excelling sense of quality? <laughs> remember when long run it was like a reward for extremely high quality pieces of theater?
0: Uh-huh. Anyway. <laughs> they did renegotiate the uh, profit structure two or three times to keep it running that long. Um... So
1: what what I guess at the same time like what have to be the operating costs there?
0: It it, it was not an expensive show to run. It's
1: it's it's it was not. Everyone gets two costumes. Here's
0: the thing, it Uh was not an expensive show to run once it was established. It opened up in London and it was a direct um, transfer. A direct transfer, not transfer, but it was a direct copy of the New York production and remounting. it, when it opened, it was the same exact production to we have the exact same measurements in everything. Everything is exactly as it is in New York. I'll get back to this later. When it opened in London, it was the most expensive musical that had ever opened in London.
1: Fucking... Huh?
0: Let's get into it now. Let's get into Please. it now, then. Um, A Chorus Line is the single most influential from an industry perspective piece of theater that has ever been on broadway because they created the workshop process you will not find a musical that is produced today that didn't have some kind of workshop or lab lab is a new term and we won't get into the specifics there but everything is now workshopped michael bennett literally created the workshop process himself um god
1: that's some fucking revolution
0: created the workshop process when the show went to be produced internationally. Shows used to be produced internationally, and the producers would sell off the rights to a foreign producer, basically wash their hands of it. Right. And whatever happened in a foreign country happened in a foreign country. They didn't really care. A chorus line...
1: Yeah, yes. The chorus li- Oh, 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 I know the word you're looking for. The chorus line was, like, kind of the birth of the replica production.
0: It, it absolutely was. You would not get Cats. You would not get Lame Mis. You would not get any of Cameron McIntosh's productions if John Breglio and Michael Bennett didn't lay the groundwork, didn't create the infrastructure of, we will partner with you, local producer, but you will be presenting our production, and these are the people that we have approved to stage a chorus line, and you will hire one of them. Mm -hmm. so you were getting the same exact production anywhere you went now a lot of theaters had to have their stages reinforced when a chorus line went to tour because the mirrors were heavy they were not ready to take on that weight beyond that they had the replica productions i also didn't talk about when a chorus line when the original cast left a chorus line Michael Bennett did something that I don't think anyone has done since. He rehearsed three companies at once. Oh. He rehearsed three companies at the exact same time. He rehearsed the Broadway Replacement Company. He rehearsed the international company that was going to Toronto and then was going to London. And then, hey, would, return, and then would return to tour America. He also had a company that was going out to L.A., and what happened with the L.A. people, that wasn't really a full company because all but five people on the original company went out to L.A. The entire original cast moved to L.A. with the show. After Broadway? After Broadway, mm-hmm.
1: Who does that anymore?
0: Five people stayed in New York, but he had to have other understudies uh, that he brought in that moved with the show to L.A., he rehearsed the international company, he rehearsed the Broadway replacements, and he rehearsed everyone that was going out to L.A. at the exact same time. And he originally didn't want to tell people where they were going to land. And Equity... Oh,
1: <laughs> Motherfuck. Yeah, so he could play around and say, these
0: people work well together, these per- people work well together. Oh, Equity yeah, said, no, 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 no okay, you to yeah, to no, I thought that was
1: some... I thought that was like some... Subtextual, like dramaturgy. No, that would have. Been- no, that's would have been so fucking smart.
0: Well, it- it's the old Jerry. Fuck a Robbins. union!
1: I get what Patty's on about.
0: This is the old thing that Jerry Robbins did. Jerry Robbins would be in rehearsal of a show. He'd have a dance solo, and you didn't do exactly what he wanted on the day that he wanted it. So he'd have someone else come in and do your part. And so it was a constant competition, and this is why, psychologically, it broke so many dancers down. The same thing happened on A Chorus Line. Because it was a workshop production and nothing was written, you started comparing yourself to everyone else, and I didn't get anything good written, I didn't get this, I didn't get that, I didn't get this, I didn't get that. Um, and he wanted to continue the thing with the three companies. But Equity said no, you have to tell them where they're going to be working before they go into rehearsals. Beyond the fact that replica productions, rehearsing multiple companies, workshops, this is also the first Broadway show ever to use a computer. Where? The lighting.
1: Oh, was it automated?
0: The lighting design, the levels were all automated for the first time ever. And it's 1976, so computers were not that smart. But they had programmed the lighting into the computer because Theron Musser, the lighting designer, said, I'm tired of going back to shows that I lit, and it doesn't look as good as the lighting design that I did because someone's fucking with the levels.
1: So in a way, then, I guess you could also argue that chorus line is sort of also the show that cemented, like, frozen shows. As in, like, frozen, frozen.
0: In a way, yeah.
1: That's a little... Listen, we got butterfly effects going all over the place. Some are... Some have good repercussions, some have bad repercussions. Mm-hmm. We roll with the punches.
0: It, it really was groundbreaking. And they had the iconography of the line being the logo they had a cemented logo no matter where you went you knew that look is a chorus line
1: right yeah Mm -hmm. i mean you know i i i i have the vinyl and that overall look is just iconic you Mm -hmm. know that sort of like faded yellowy background the sort of i don't know how do you describe that font it's kind of like slim like it has like it's like layered as well Mm -hmm. and it's the silhouettes of the people and it's It feels like homey almost,
0: Mm -hmm. but
1: it feels like a piece of iconography. It feels like a, a, a thing. It feels like a logo. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: It, it is wild that a piece of art that is so like well-crafted and well-tuned in this manner is also so like capitalistically proficient. You know what I mean?
0: No one thought it was going to work. I, I they, guess I
1: understand why in concept.
0: They realized at the first couple of off-Broadway performances, it worked. They didn't think it was going to move to Broadway well because they said it's going to be too insidery, it's going to be too downtown. Well, move to Broadway. And then, well, it won't work in L.A. because it's completely East Coast, New York show. It worked in L.A. Well, it won't work in London. It worked in London. It, 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 the list goes on. <laughs> Every single step of the way, they said, I don't think they're going to get the references. This won't work. It does, because at the core it's about a group of human beings, it's about emotions every person has experienced, and it is about experiences every person has had.
1: Saying that just now made me want to whip out the vinyl, which I've never really, really looked at in my life, and I'm now realizing has, like, the original print inside of it. Uh, and I'm gonna really quickly just read a tiny little blurb from here that I like a lot. Um... One always feels constrained talking about something as good as a chorus line. Easy words like triumph, masterpiece are shabby press agentry, and one cannot substitute that for the real feeling of joy that is felt while sitting in a theater and finally experiencing complete satisfaction. Goddard Lieberson.
0: And he is correct. It is. Yeah, a he's
1: fucking right, eh?
0: Complete satisfaction. Yeah. Uh, Stephen Schwartz talks. In interviews about, he went to a chorus line at the public. It's called a chorus line. And immediately you think, well, they're going to be in a line doing kicks. And what happens? You don't get that for the entire show. You finally get to one, the finale. Michael Bennett brings the group together. Okay, now they're going to kick. They go away. He brings the group back together. Now they're going to kick. No, they're running in a circle. They go away. He brings the group together a third time. They don't kick. And they go off to other places. Finally, the fourth time, they bring them together. They start kicking. And he said, I was in the audience screaming, they're kicking, they're kicking, they're kicking. (laughs) And it's the image you expect when you walk into the show but somehow he's given you blue balls enough that when you finally get to them actually in the line doing the fan kicks it's genius yeah. it's
1: genius and and they kick and as they start to kick the lights come down
0: yes yeah they've
1: they've they've you've you've landed you've landed and the journey's done what it, got, it is. What you're, yeah, it's the climax. It's you. You've climaxed and roll around and go to bed.
0: A lot of people say that it's a very cruel ending, and it is. I don't. It fi- is,
1: I guess, logistically cruel.
0: Because you've spent the entire show learning how these people are individuals, and they all come out in the same costumes doing the nondescript dance. And you can't really tell them apart. Yep. That's the entire point and, of the show. And Yeah,
1: isn't that just fucking what it is?
0: Isn't that what it is? And when it comes time for them to all come out and take a bow, they don't. They don't. Yeah. They kick the curtain slowly descends as they are kicking into oblivion, kicking into, kicking into the next decade, you know? Kicking into eternity... The curtain comes down, the orchestra continues playing, the house lights go up, and they stop playing.
1: And the next show that audience goes to, they will give a standing ovation for the ensemble. Uh Because they're standing there, and they're going, fuck, yeah, no, that's, yeah, we don't give them that love. They are these people on this stage, but we don't give them that love because of the size of their part
0: we don't give them that love but it is cruel because they aren't recognized they've spent the last two hours being recognized as individuals they don't get recognized as individuals they don't even get a proper bow they just kick into oblivion
1: yes yes Yes. welcome to musical theater
0: and he did the same shit with Anne I'm Telling You I'm Not Going she finishes that song she's pulled off stage and all of a sudden the audience is applauding for Dina as Dina walks on
1: and it it is a good effect to an audience because the audience is sitting there going, oh, fuck, no. That's not what... No, I want to give love. And so then you're fighting even fucking harder. Mm-hmm. To The audience is fighting even harder to make sure that love is communicated.
0: He, Michael Bennett knows exactly how you're going to react and he's going to fuck with your reaction. Um, and then one final staging moment that made Please. me absolutely gasp when I saw it. Most Mm -hmm. recently, and I don't know if it totally comes off well in this video. Please. They get in the line for the final time. They do, you're right. Right before they find out if they're going to get it. Mm -hmm. Now, when Stephen Sondheim originally envisioned the number Who's That Woman, he went to Michael Bennett and he said they're all going to be dancing and there's going to be one missing person and she's going to have a ghost but she's not going to be there and that's because she's dead and michael bennett said it's not going to work because they're going to be doing a dance number and everyone's going to think they fucked up now michael bennett has spent an entire show in a chorus line establishing the line paul gets injured and for the last time they get in the line to find out whether or not they are hired and paul is missing he finally figured out The moment that was originally intended for who's that woman in Follies, he finally got it in a chorus line. And seeing, and and he's right, you have to establish there was someone there before you can remove them. But he established Uh that Paul was there, and you see that gap in the line, and it is heartbreaking.
1: Yep, yep. Oh.
0: Oh. I literally. There's also, <gasps> I, I I fully gave
1: <gasps> gasped you, you know you he know I, I also I also gasped around that moment I also gasped around that moment, mm-hmm. uh, but more in the lens of having seen it the first time. It's it's the fake out, the fake out at the end. It's the stepping forward.
0: Oh, and I'm sitting there at the edge uh-huh. of my
1: seat, and they announce the name, and they're like, they're like Maggie, okay, Greg, yeah. And you're like waiting. Okay, who makes it? Who makes it?
0: And then Diana, no Diana, step back. Wish. Yeah, yeah,
1: that was, Yeah, I, I heard heard. I was like, oh, ratchet. Fuck off
0: the tension even higher.
1: I was like, I was like, wow, you fucking say that to her? Mm-hmm. Shit. At the, I was like, at that point, you just give her the fucking job. Like, fuck, you make the mistake, you're not gonna shit. And then frontline go away. I literally, <gasps> I literally gasped. I moved back in my chair. I was like, no, fuck. Mm -hmm. it's a last minute just total because so much of this show is like gut punches and knee jerk reactions and I'm gonna throw this at you and what are you gonna do it's not to the audience to the characters and you end it with this one final fucking snap
0: Mm -hmm.
1: and then they're standing there for 60 seconds and Zach is giving some monologue about this is what's going to happen. Here's your contract, whatever. And you're sitting there and you are looking at, you've already in your mind been putting together what this ensemble looks like. They're, they step forward, you're like, oh, okay, so this person and that person. And then all of a sudden they go away and you're spending that last 60 seconds just looking at these people and going, oh, okay, taking stock. What have we gained? What have we lost? Oh, who's here? Who's not here? Whoa, what? And you're just watching them. Sheila doesn't like, wow, make it. Wow, these are, Sheila does not make it. That's fucked up. Uh-huh. But you know what? It also makes sense. Because well, she's standing there and Zach has heard her say, yeah, I think I'm going to open a dance studio. Zach's sitting there, she's going, she'll be fine.
0: That's a fair point. That is a fair point. Yeah, um, I think
1: so much of that question is not just... like I, I think it's a cheap thing to assume that... that it's, I think it'd be a cheap thing to assume that the reason he asks all the questions is who will be the most upset if they don't get it. But I think genuinely, there's a thing of... I am casting the best person here and by the end of it, I think it also adds on to, I am casting the person who is best and will need this the most. Not just need this as in like, I need a job, but need this as in like, this is what their future is going to be. Sheila has had that, has been a part of that, has experienced that, is thinking about that dance studio and Zach is almost going, take the jump.
0: You already have an exit strategy. Yeah.
1: Yeah. You already have an exit strategy. Go ahead and
0: mm-hmm.
1: try it. You should. You should try it.
0: Now, a moment of the reality is not always the theatrical reality. During the public run, they kept changing on who made it at the end. Like Fuck. Michael Bennett would pass a note to Robert Lapone to read off. <laughs> and they wouldn't know they'd stand there. they would genuinely not know until I oh. it got to the point where the show had to be frozen and i think equity came in and said you have to freeze the show we can't um but the one thing that everybody disagreed on cassie ends up making it And everyone agreed that the reality was that Zach is Michael Bennett and no way is Michael Bennett going to allow a threat like Cassie to be cast in this show.
1: Mm.
0: And Marsha Mason, who was married to Neil Simon at the time, said, they will never forgive you. If you want this show to be a hit, Cassie has to make it. And rallied for weeks and weeks about the people, people want a second chance people want to be told they can try again. That is what Cassie represents. Every person in that audience is rooting for her. I don't care what the reality is. You have to give her the job.
1: Can I say
0: one thing? Mhm. Seriously,
1: genuinely the one thing that I did not enjoy about this? Mhm. Paul is carted off. He's taken to the emergency room. Mhm. Right? Which by the way, sorry, something I did lo- something I did love about that. Uh, Cassie says, let me take him. And Zach goes, no. And some other guy goes, let me take him. And Zach goes, yes, okay. And it's that fine. That's the, yes, you're cut.
0: Ah. Uh. Right? Uh-huh.
1: Uh huh. Uh, I thought that was such a good detail. Having Cassie at- offer to go and Zach say, no. You're mm-hmm. staying. Because you're going to make this.
0: Mm hmm.
1: Something I-, I didn't like, though, immediately after that. You have the alternative scene, right? Mm Mm-hmm. And, you know, what do you do when you can't dance anymore? Kill yourself. This scene starts. And then all of a sudden, as soon as sort of Richie pipes up, maybe it might have just been a cast thing here, but it, like, very suddenly acquires a completely different energy that feels a little, like, Saturday morning cartoony moral thing that felt unnatural to me. That felt like it sort of just came out of nowhere. That felt like it was very much state of the union. Hey, let's uh let's all convene and talk about what we look like. Not literally, but it had that energy to it, and it felt like it came out of nowhere. And that was the one moment in this entire show that like threw me off. I was like, oh, that felt a little haphazard. Maybe it seems to happen out of nowhere. Mm. I I and you know what? I think I would credit a lot of it specifically to the actor playing Richie. Because I think he just carries an energy that all of a sudden jolts them out. And then everyone else is, you know, repl- responding to it by being in that energy, mm-hmm. because, you know, it is pretty maudlin before that the line itself is not objectively like such a pivot, you know, uh, that was genuinely the single moment where I felt that cohesion slipped or if cohesion's the right word, I, you know what I'm getting at mm-hmm. besides that singular moment that flared up in my mind. Michael Bennett gives a perfect production. Michael Bennett gives a perfect production. This is a sentence that is true of a few works of art, and it is true of a chorus line.
0: It's a perfect musical.
1: It is a perfect musical. Through and through. It Mm -hmm. is a perfect entity.
0: Seeing it, and seeing that... It's aged in a lovely way, and it's aged in unexpected ways. The Paul monologue... Uh huh. There's a line in there about I w- we'd go to the movies, I'd have to sit down in front because I didn't have glasses, I wear contacts now. And men used to come sit next to me and play with me. Mm-hmm. That got no reaction here. And I think that's accurate for most of the run of the show. This, su- when I just saw it this summer, he said men used to come down in front and play with me. There was literally God, a large gasp from the entire audience because now we are aware of gay people that gay people can be sexually abused and they didn't choose this just because they're gay. I mean, uh-huh. it, it's we have changed God. and we are now reacting to the show in different ways. But the material is strong enough that it's still eliciting a clear response.
1: The show is firmly set in 1975.
0: Every production of the show is set Mm -hmm. in
1: 1975. It's set in 1975 and firmly set in 1975. There's no liminal space. There's no time. Everything feels very specifically 70s. Mm -hmm. And the show itself is timeless Mm -hmm. still. The show itself is completely timeless because it is not about the circumstance. It's not about the environment. It is about nothing outside the walls of this room.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: It is about the walls of this room and the walls of this room is in audition rooms. And guess what? Audition rooms still exist. The dynamic, the tension, the fear, that's still here. And that's what makes the show so exciting, so intimidating that this is still, yeah.
0: It's interesting you say audition room, though, because that's a change. Audi- they wouldn't have yeah. said audition room because they auditioned in a Broadway theater. They always auditioned in a Broadway theater. You go to a rehearsal studio.
1: Yeah. The
0: chorus? We get to the cast, you say? The chorus. hmm Now, you'll find it interesting to know, it's not a happy show to stay in. They had significant problems keeping people on the show and keeping people happy if their character didn't make it at the end.
1: Yeah. Yeah, because you're just singing in the wings.
0: No, no, no. I mean the end. The final cut. Here are the eight people that got it and the rest of you didn't get it. The people that got cut at the end of the show were likely to leave earlier. And were likely to hate being in the show more likely they to not like night. being in the show they, they lose every night and especially with that original cast and they were on stage at the beginning literally not knowing whether or not they made it and michael bennett is constantly there and they're constantly each vying for michael bennett's attention and he's created a whole mindfuck thing around them the tension was real the tension was absolutely real and if you did not make it at the end it was a hard show because everything you're there telling your life story, and especially that original yes. cast, you are there literally telling your life story. But it's also not completely your life story. You have bits of Donna McKechnie, you have bits of Iork Lee, you have bits of Candy Brown, who was not in the original cast and was a great so you fosse don't get dancer. the ability
1: to, you don't get the ability to just be you. You are a character, mm-hmm. except that character is you becomes you
0: Mm mm-hmm that character is you that character becomes you but that character is not completely you and so then at the end of the show when you are rejected that's not just the character being rejected that is you being rejected
1: oh and you have like enough detachment to be able to go like there's enough of this that is artificial that i'm applying to a character that's whatever Mm -hmm. but by the end of this two-hour show when you have told so many of your own stories to a Broadway audience, you feel like you at the end of the night. You feel like you.
0: They all got resentful of Donna McKechnie. They, really? They all got resentful of Donna McKechnie because they had showed up to those original tape sessions to create a collective where everybody was on the same level. And all and of a sudden, when was it came... Playing the star? When it came Tony time, Donna McKechnie was not in the featured category. The rest of them were in, Donna was the lead. No one else was cr- was um, designated a leading actor in A Chorus Line. Donna was designated a leading actor and the show has to petition you up into that category. They only did it for Donna. Donna McKechnie, they heard the show was going to be on the cover of Newsweek. And everyone goes out and gets Newsweek and it's only Donna McKechnie on the cover.
1: Oh, Christ.
0: Mm hmm. And so the person that shared Donna McKechnie's dressing room can't think of their name, but they were the best of friends. And the day the Newsweek cover came out, the person that shared her dressing room said, You look old. <laughs> on that cover.
1: Oh. <laughs> Whoa.
0: It, it got very. Volatile, and then they
1: completely complete honesty. Can mm-hmm. you blame? Um. Right. So, there are twenty-seven people here. Uh, let's get started before we, uh, <laughs> you know, run this to the ground.
0: I don't think we can do all twenty-seven.
1: I guess let's just talk about the Tony nominees.
0: Sure, we'll talk about the Tony nominees. Um, but do you? Thanks. Have, I just thought. I just thought of it just now. Do you have something else you'd like to say about someone else? A special moment. From someone who wasn't Tony nominated.
1: Oh, um, well, let's first of all let's first of all say who who were the Tony nominees of *A Chorus Line*.
0: Donna McKechnie was nominated for it Best Leading Actress in a Musical. She mm-hmm. won. It says. was controversial that she was even nominated in that category. Gwen Verdon and Cheetah Rivera were both very angry when they mm-hmm. found out she was not going to be featured. Sure. Um, oh. Featured actress, we had Priscilla Lopez and Kelly Bishop. Kelly Bishop might have been for, going by uh, Carol at the time.
1: Yes, she was.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh,
1: yeah, it, uh, Yeah, Priscilla for Deanna and uh, Kelly as Sheila. Mm-hmm. And then in the male category, I believe it was Sammy Williams for Paul and Bobby Lapone for Zach?
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Right. Correct. Yeah. Um, someone who doesn't make this list off the top of my head ronald dennis is richie i know i mentioned that one moment about him previously but like fuck, is it exciting to see that much energy on a stage mm-hmm. it is just thrilling it is just like actually exciting to see someone so exuberant so energetic so capable you watch that and you go how the fuck did he not pass out halfway through the show mm-hmm. uh it's a remarkable feat. There's he's the one who does the batshit leap at the beginning, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. I, I, I guffawed. I guffawed, Daniel. <laughs> uh, <laughs> from that moment, I was like, "Oh, that fucking guy." Anyway, uh, that's my guy. Do you have, uh, do you have anyone you'd like to send up? Um,
0: I'd like to mention K. Cole as Maggie. Um, Maggie oh, yeah. is. Oh yeah. Typically, the one role where she's allowed to not be so much of a dancer because we need a vocalist, <laughs> um,
1: and she gets cut anyway. So,
0: at the ballet, I don't think anyone has ever sang that as good as K. Cole ever.
1: That was it. Fucking clear as a bell. Uh huh. Clear as a bell.
0: And be belted. I mean, you hear there are compilations of people doing that moment, and it just. It, it, it's some people it's not, get, it doesn't yeah. some people flip into head voice some people get nasal it, it's just she is exactly what that moment needs and she also has the big moment that I love please take this message to mother from me just terrific she, she is she sounds fucking incredible mhm let's get to the okay. cast the yeah five. let's do
1: it let's do yeah. it let's do it was Donna the only one to win among the bunch
0: uh no, no. Donna won. Kelly Bishop won. And Sammy Williams won.
1: Cool. Okay, so let's start with the nominees then. Okay. Uh, Priscilla Lopez as Deanna.
0: She's perfect. She sings like a dream. Um, she has, again, the perfect voice for that Marvin Hamlish music. You hear her singing What I Did for Love. And... It really seems like it was made for her. Um, she's just so charming. She's so charming.
1: The fact that the person who sings nothing is the same person who sings what I did for love uh-huh. is dazzling to me. Because that's like a full range. That is that is present two contrasting Numbers. Went from like, I felt
0: nothing and to this is the emotional core of the entire show. Yeah.
1: To what I did for love. Mm-hmm. It, it it feels like she is emerging as an angel at the end of this show. Like she is emerging as like the omniscient, omnipresent voice. Uh-huh. Fuck. Just.
0: She's terrific. It's,
1: it's, it's gorgeous. It's touching. Mm-hmm. Emotional, it's just fuck, fuck.
0: And how lucky we are that she's still out there working. I mean, she was in the in the heights. Yeah. She was yeah, just right, in the skin of yes. her teeth. She's stayed current and she stayed working.
1: She won in the end. Um. Bobby Lapone, rec- recently departed. Robert
0: Lapone. Nominated that year. The same year, I think this is the only time this has ever happened. In the support in the featured actress in a musical category, Patti Lapone was nominated for Robert Bridegroom. I think it's the only year that oh. two performers, a brother and sister, were nominated in the same year.
1: I had never even clocked that, yeah, word. God, he, he he is on he is visible for less than twenty percent of the show. And he's still like the beating heart of this.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: He is always looming. He goes to the back of the house and all of a sudden the audience is watching from his eyes. Mm-hmm. And he commands so incredibly. The scene before, the, the scene before Mirror where, he, you know, some audition. Yeah, what are you, what are you doing here? Just so. Yeah. fucking like he has a stranglehold
0: on this room. You not only have to dance in front of the cast and be the best dancer. You have to do voiceover work. You have to completely yeah. communicate everything just through and, voice.
1: And, and 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 voiceover work is a deceptively intricate medium. You're not just acting off stage. You are it is a different kind of intonation. You have to communicate a facial expression with your with your throat. Mm-hmm. It is a, it it is a spectacular feat that he is accomplishing.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: He is he is turning one of the best. That scene is one of the best acting moments in the entire show. He is giving one of the strongest acting moments in the entire show, and he's not fucking visible. Yeah. For for the entirety of that scene, he's not fucking visible. That yeah nomination
0: it, yeah it's it's a hard role to get right I mean he's very stoic and Zach can be very mean but Robert Lapone is never dislikable and actually watching it through this time I think he, you were seeing Robert Lapone in front of the cast near the end of the show I think when he's running through the one number with them uh, the first time yes. and I really yes. think it it. it Robert Lapone was not originally Zach. It was supposed to be Tony Stevens, and I believe Robert Lapone was Al or something. And Tony Stevens left a chorus line to go be Bob Fosse's assistant on Chicago because he had always wanted to be Bob Fosse's assistant. And Robert Lapone went to Michael Bennett and said, "I can play Zach. Make me Zach." Um, I really think Robert Lapone is how Michael Bennett saw himself. He's authoritative. He moves an arm and it's like, yeah, it's just an arm. But for some reason, you think the arm goes to the very end of the theater, like limbs for days that just sprawl across the entire stage energetically. And he is this towering, towering figure. And Michael Bennett was a little shorty in real life.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Uh, No, seriously, It, it is. It's a command. It's a, like, as I mentioned, stranglehold. Mm -hmm. And there's also such a care. Such a care and such an attention paid to those around. And such, like, a reverence for what everyone around is doing. As the character, not necessarily as Robert, but there's such a reverence in this character. The moment after the Paul monologue, where he's just holding his hand out. That is, like guidance that is a teacher that is a mentor that is a guardian Mm -hmm. that is a parent it's
0: a terrific performance and robert lapone went on to found the mcc theater that have produced some wonderful wonderful Mm -hmm. shows some pulitzer prize winners um Uh and it is a very sad loss the the
1: art he made and the art he established and the systems he established for art to continue in are a fantastic testament to the weight of this man in in today's commercial theater.
0: Mm-hmm. All right. And
1: let's go on to the winners,
0: eh? Mm-hmm. Uh, let's go to Sammy Williams. Let's do it. As Paul.
1: Yeah. Um... Have you ever seen a monologue get an ovation?
0: Yes, I have. When was that? An ovation this long? No. Well,
1: oh, yeah, 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 yeah. I, you get Sometimes you give a monologue and you get some claps. You give it like a five-minute monologue, and then people will like cheer on the monologue, sure. Mm-hmm. But this is... They're clapping for this like they clapped for the numbers. Yeah. This was a moment of equal weight to the Music in the
0: Mirror. The process of cutting down the show was the Paul monologue is the emotional core of the show. We can't have anything that jeopardizes people focusing on Paul and people focusing on that monologue.
1: Something you texted me while we were watching this is you miss Music in the Mirror, you miss the Paul monologue, you miss the show. Mm Mm-hmm. That's what yes. the show boils down to in its in, in its entirety. I would also throw in what I did for love. I would say those you, three it, moments. Make what I did for love. Of
0: course. Line. What I did for love is an after effect of the Paul monologue. You can't get to what I did yes. for love without the Paul monologue.
1: Correct. Mm-hmm. Correct. And Sammy Williams is giving a documentary performance.
0: It's not Just, his story.
1: Th- that's fucking baffling to me. That's fucking baffling to me.
0: It is not his story. It is Nicholas Dante's story. Christ. He's one of the book writers here.
1: I believe you. I don't believe you.
0: Sammy Williams. It's not his story. He's acting out there.
1: That is like...
0: You can't tell the difference between him and the rest of the cast.
1: When you see an acting performance so good that you forget that you're watching a character... That's what Sammy brought to this. Obviously, beyond this monologue, it's a very well-rounded performance. You know, he has the first real, like, spotlight solo moment in the show. Of course, you know, there's, I really need this job, and there's that. But, you know, who am I anyway?
0: What really struck me this time, Paul walks back on his stage, he has the bag on, and he said, um, you know, I went to the movie theater, and the entire time he's, do we really have to do this? Do we really have to do this? Um, He said the line about, men used to come to the front and play with me. And, he kind of challenged Zach, and said, "Do you want to still hear the rest of this?"
1: Uh
0: huh. Zach said, "Yeah, go on. It was some something along the lines. Yeah, I, go I on." I remember this. Yeah. mm mm-hmm. Yep. He puts down the bag. He puts down the bag, and it is not something that I've ever noticed before, um, but and I don't even know if that's a staging moment or a Sammy Williams moment, but only after he's fully called Zack on his bluff and has kind of dominated Zack in that way, he's able to then open up. He's able to take the bag off. He's able to let himself loose. He's able to tell his story. And that is because he doesn't know what to expect from Zack. He doesn't even know if Zack is going to be willing to listen to him going to be sympathetic. It's such an interesting thing. He takes the bag off after he's really called Zach on his bluff. And Sammy Williams, it's a terrific performance. I, there's an issue with Paul monologues being too, um, down in the dumps. Sorry for themselves. Some actors can get very sorry for themselves in those monologues, and it's just not interesting to watch because it takes ten... It's a ten-minute monologue, and if you're just sorry for yourself, I'm interested for 30 seconds, and then I'm off. And he tells the story in a really unflinching way of just this is my past, this is what has happened, I'm not proud of myself, but this is... Why I am who I am, how I am.
1: But he's also making the best of it. He gets to the, mm-hmm. you know, the drag queen segment, and he's just like, "Yeah, this is what I did. I had, the, I had the hair, and I had the, you know," and he like steps into it for a second, and he's like, "It's, it's, it's the kind of like you know, smile or else it'll hurt,"
0: mm-hmm. vibe.
1: You know what I mean? Yeah. And he's like mustering along, and then the bow breaks. Take care of my son.
0: Mm-hmm. And, and some... he's
1: like, he's like as he starts crying, he's still, like, the smile's still on his face. Like, that's just, like, the, the instinct, gut reaction.
0: When you perform that monologue wrong, take care of my son is the first line. And too many people, they perform that take care of my son is the first line. You can see it coming from a mile away. And what Sammy Williams does is... Take care of my son, and Paul's reaction to that takes Paul by surprise.
1: Yes, 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 yes. He like takes a second to digest that.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: He like completely fucking recalibrates. Mm-hmm. Terrific. Oh. Masterful, masterful. Um, how about the Sheila named Sheila?
0: Oh, you're using Sheila like the Australian.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. I thought it was. I thought it was cute.
0: Sure. We have Kelly, or Carol, Bishop, as Sheila. And she's got the audience around her finger. I mean, I've never seen someone just sock a line over. Paul falls and someone says, you know, did anyone have a volume?" They're not even finished with that statement. Yeah, I got it. And she's... (laughs) Is that okay to give him? I've had three today, honey. It's not going to do anything. <laughs> um, I, gu- I
1: guess it is like kind of stretchy, isn't it?
0: Oh, oh, yeah, a little bit stretchy. She has a very hard exterior, and at the ballet, she opens up and kind of lays everything bare. I, she just lands the lines perfectly. She gets the biggest laughs. She earns the biggest laughs. And you know exactly who she is from the second she steps on stage. And it's th- that's her first line. I knew the combination when I was in the front.
1: Yeah, yes.
0: Mm-hmm. And yes, that line is a good line. But if you don't play it right, she's just bitchy. Carol Bishop, Kelly Bishop is lovable. And everything is done with a wink and a smile.
1: It, and, and, and it's also, like, she will never be second banana. She will never mm. let someone else have the last word, you know?
0: It is just a terrific performance. And um, it, it is Stritchian, and it's done to the utmost of that effect. Yeah.
1: Um... And finally Dearest Donna
0: Donna McKechnie
1: Is this our first time talking about Donna McKechnie on the podcast? Is it? Yeah
0: Well we talked about her in something that we recorded and haven't released yet
1: Oh I don't know what you're talking about Um (laughs) that doesn't exist Audiences stay tuned You're gonna love tomorrow Donna McKechnie Uh is a star There's genuinely nothing else to say about it. She's a star and she's giving you a star performance and she's presenting star quality and a star level of quality and you watch it and you go I am watching a legend. It is a legendary presence. It's a legendary encapsulation. It is just she is the heir.
0: I can't think of a role that is as much of just an outright showcase for a performer without being a star vehicle Yeah. as Cassie is for Donna McKechnie. And I mean, it's so much of a star vehicle that no one else was even able to come close to what she did. There are a few soprano moments. Listen to your mother, those stadium movie people who got there because they're special. Um, all of the replacement Cassies pretty much everybody who's played that role since takes it an octave down.
1: Wait, you tell me Anne Reinking didn't yeah. get me up with the fifth octave?
0: Yeah. <laughs> well, Anne Reinking, they said... Um, she took she, two octaves down. Yeah, she took it two octaves down. She was one of the only people who didn't really have to audition for a chorus line in the history of the show. Michael Bennett said, I want you, but I don't know if you can sing it and we need to figure out what key music in the mirror would end up being and if it's going to work. and they took it down like a fifth (laughs) Um, they can't they don't necessarily aren't necessarily able to sing the soprano line the one piece of the show that does change is music and the mirror they would tweak the number to each of the cassies and
1: because it has to be a showcase
0: Mm-hmm. it has to be a showcase and everyone said no one fully got that number to work the level Donna McKechnie got that number to work and she talked about the number and it was it, we're watching it out here and it's interesting to watch and she's doing a million things but she talked about oh in this section she's taunting Zach in this section she's she, she had an acting moment for each move pretty much
1: Fucking astounding.
0: So it's not just a piece of dance. It's an it's all a piece encapsulating of acting. thing. Mm-hmm. Well, and the moment that you really go, oh, fuck. I, I think this is the best Donna McKechnie has ever sounded vocally. She's crying, like, actually crying, sobbing. And I what I really don't want to do is teach people what I should be doing. God, I'm a dancer. And she belts it out. And belts it out better than you're expecting Donna McKechnie to be able to belt's. And you're like, it, it, it really knocks you back in your seat, and she hasn't even begun dancing yet.
1: It's it's it, it it's such a spectacular quality in her in her because you have the sort of like, I want to protect herness that Gwen Verdon had. You had that sort of like you know, that wanting to help, that wanting to support, that wanting to nurture, but. While she also has sort of like one's, I guess, clear headedness and that sort of strongness, she has such a like saccharinness and such like a sweetness and such an honesty and such like a purity to her. It, it it's literally it, it it's like the the woman in musical theater you want to protect most that that you want to hold that you want to just like shield. She so easily is able to instill an empathy in an audience and just, you know, have you yearning for her. Mm-hmm. It's really magical.
0: She is an unstoppable fount of energy. Yeah. So, I honestly, the, the cast is terrific. It's a perfect show. It's a perfect cast for this it's show. It's a perfect company. Mm-hmm. Um, Phone rings door.
1: No. Uh and I guess that just leaves us leaves us to talk about this video. Uh-huh. It's a pro shot. It's from the New York but, Public Library. It's from Theater on Film and Tape.
0: But not um, in the sense that you're thinking. So there are, I believe, two cameras, there might be a third one. And it goes back and forth between, which is nice. But it's mm-hmm. black and white and it's blurry
1: it's a little blurry. I, a lot of, definitely feels like, a, you know, it definitely feels like it's because of the tape having been worn out to a certain extent. Um, there are some exposure things every now and then it's like the, the frame will get really dark and then as a result of it, it'll like cut to another angle. That being said, every now and then there is like a, you know, camera person doesn't know to hit that mark or you're, swapping out a bit too late or a bit too early. That being said, it's really not fucking hard to watch.
0: Yeah, they're they're in in an official capacity. So it's not like the camera is janky and they're moving it around with their hand because the arm's getting tight. No, it's on a tripod. And it's... And you know what? It's decent camera work.
1: Yeah, And, and you know what? It's old and it's like a little blurry, yeah. But... You can make out the faces. You can, like, yeah. e- pretty easily mm-hmm. make out the faces. You're not, like, looking at a big wash of white. You're not seeing a body move in sync with Paul's monologue. You're getting to see his face. hmm How fucking... Like, like, in what planet is that something we get, you know?
0: It, it's... You're not going to get the best view of the lighting design, but it gives you an absolute impression as to what the show was, why it was great, why it matters. Mm-hmm.
1: And more importantly than anything, you get the people that make this show. Mm -hmm. Literally make this show.
0: Literally. Mm -hmm. Um, We can't grade this video. It is not eligible for grading.
1: Okay. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, sure.
0: It does not fall within any normal purview. We cannot grade the video. Yeah. Yeah. And a chorus line this show.
1: That's ungradable. That's just... You don't give that a grade, you put it on a plate. I
0: I know. You put it in
1: the pantheon. You put that on a... You frame it and you put it on the wall. I, it,
0: I knew it was one of my top ten. Hypothetical top ten of all time musicals. In the last couple of months. It has to be somewhere in the top five. Probably top three.
1: God damn it. This is maybe edging into my top five.
0: Yeah. I'm glad we did this. I'm glad we did so this. So am
1: I. Fuck, is theater good? Mm-hmm. We've been seeing so much good theater. We talked about Dogfight. We talked about Sunday in the Park with George. We talked about a chorus line. We've seeing such fucking good theater.
0: Well, you know, it's... We normally do every other week, but next week is Halloween.
1: Oh, we should do a bonus. I we
0: should, think... We should we'll... find a
1: little spooky little... We should, um, um... God, what's like a good... What's a great Halloweeny? What's like a great spooky musical? Like a legendary... Like a great piece of writing...
0: I don't know. I, I I haven't really thought about this.
1: It's an excellent. What are some excellent Halloween scary horror musicals?
0: Oh, what should we do? Do what? What should we do on the next week?
1: I don't get the reference because I I haven't seen the show yet.
0: I'm not trying to sit here being oblique. That didn't scan, um, but it rhymed.
1: Uh, it rhymed. That would that yeah. much was impressive. Uh-huh. And, like, it made sense.
0: I guess we'll just have to keep being unique. Again, that didn't scam, but Ryan's rhymes again. Yeah, and again. The two was mistressed, um, and that was... Yeah, you're, you're, yeah. you're
1: derailing yourself.
0: It's late. It's late. I, what, I, is I'm better what is this? What is this from? Um, I don't know. I guess y- y- you're going to have to see. But as some say, there's never been a musical like her before. <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> Next week, folks... We are going to learn if anybody ever gets it right.
0: On our Halloween special.
1: You have to do an evil laugh with me, Dan. They're uh, all going to uh, laugh uh. at you. They're all going to laugh at you. Jesus fucking Christ, They're Daniel. all going to laugh at I you. I can't? Oh, you're very... like, You can't give me anything. You have to insert yourself into...
0: Oh, goodness fucking gracious. If you enjoyed the episode, rate us, review us, and subscribe to us on your platform of choice.
1: And if you have any recommendations, questions, or virtual flowers to send our way, email us at unccpodcast at gmail.com.
0: The Unauthorized Critic Circle podcast is unauthorized. The podcast is intended for entertainment and informational purposes only. A chorus line. And all names, pictures, and audio clips are registered trademarks and or copyright of the respective trademark and copyright holders. The Unauthorized Critic Circle cannot help the listener locate or distribute the recordings discussed herein.